0: Hello, and welcome to History Tarts. Bite-sized morsels of history they never taught us in school.
1: Annette Mayfield and this is History Tarts, a podcast where we look at events in history but not in the way it's presented at school. Here's my podcast partner in crime, Graham Cairns.
0: Thanks, Ned. I don't know why so many people hated history at school. Well, actually, I do. It's because they were taught history that was dull and boring and full of names and dates, but not stories of real, living, breathing people with all of their triumphs and their tragedies and their high points and their heartbreaks.
1: So that's what we're going to do in these podcasts. Take apart the events of history and look at what really happened and why. The good, the bad, the ugly, and quite frankly, the ridiculous. So, history tartlets... Let's get baking. This episode, we're going to look at the history of piracy.
0: Hey Net, why are pirates pirates?
1: Oh, why?
0: They just are. It's a terrible old joke, I know, but when we think of pirates, we tend to think of pirates with that accent. We think of pirates in the Caribbean with broad West County accents and and swashbuckling demeanour like Captain Jack Sparrow and Captain Hook from Peter Pan or Blackbeard the Pirate, and we will have more on him later. But there have been pirates for pretty much as long as there have been ships carrying cargo. I mean, we have records that stretch back three and a half thousand years to what are now called the Sea People. Those are groups of pirates who swept down from the Mediterranean and the Aegean down to Egypt. In fact, piracy was so widespread that the early Greeks actually considered it to be a perfectly honourable way of making a living. In the poems of the Iliad and the Odyssey, pirates were seen as heroes. It started to get frowned upon, though, a bit later. Why? Because rich traders started writing the histories. So I wonder if there's a connection there. <laughs>
1: Surely not.
0: Surely not. Meanwhile, in the Malacca Straits of Southeast Asia, in China, and, well, wherever there were trade ships, there were pirates. In the Middle Ages, the Vikings of Scandinavia were a piratical bunch. Their entire society was based on raiding ships and coastal towns. And aside here, by the way, you know those Vikings, how they were a dirty ragtag mob who wore those big horned helmets in a, in a battle?
1: Yeah, yeah, those,
0: mm, those Vikings. No, apparently the most treasured items of Vikings, scientists say, were combs and mirrors to make themselves look beautiful. And those horned helmets, they weren't for battle. They predate the Vikings by a couple of hundred years and were probably only worn for religious ceremonies. Who knew, huh? Of course, that doesn't mean just because they had mirrors and combs that their hygiene standards were at modern levels. I mean, look at the man after whom our Wi-Fi connections are named. There is a connection. I see you looking at me there. There was this Viking king called Harold Gormson. He ruled Denmark and Norway from about 950 AD. Ever heard of Harold Gormson? No. You have, you know, you just don't know it. See, Gormson faced a problem. Because his people spoke multiple languages and dialects, he encouraged them to unite and come up with a way that they could all live together. Just over a thousand years later... When Danish engineers were coming up with a way to make multiple devices, like our phones and our computers, unite, they named it after King Harold and his most identifying feature. You still don't know who Harold was?
1: I can't think of anything called, like, Hargor or something.
0: Nope. Apparently, Harold Gormson's teeth were so rotten that he was nicknamed Bluetooth.
1: Oh, oh, yeah, all right. And
0: hence the name, none of which has anything to do with piracy, but I I just (laughs) love that story, so I had to throw it in. But when we do think of pirates, most of us think of the pirates of the Barbary coast and the pirates of the Caribbean. The Barbary pirates, they were the Muslim pirates and privateers who operated out of North Africa and into the Western Mediterranean. Now, it's probably important to differentiate between pirates and privateers at this point. Do you know the difference?
1: Uh, privateers get paid to be pirates?
0: Sort of. Pirates were just plain, ordinary bad guys. They they had ships that preyed on other ships for profit and plunder, and they were outside the law. They were just flat-out criminals. Privateers, on the other hand, were pirates that had the legal fiction that they were serving a country as a sort of extra militia. Mercenaries that had what were called a letter of mark from a ruler. Now, if you were attacked by a ship, it didn't matter much whether the attackers were pirates or privateers. The result was going to be the same, but legally there was a difference. And here's the thing. The results, while they weren't going to be good for you, didn't end with walking the plank. They might have ended with your death, but not by walking the plank. That's a fictional addition which was added to stories to make it more dramatic a little later. But anyway, let's get back to those Barbary pirates. There is no doubt, as I said... They were Muslims and there was a religious component to their piracy. It was a way for the Muslim Berbers to try to keep control and some domination over the Christian Europeans who were also seeking to dominate the region. But there's also a purely economic reason for their piracy. Now, there's some argument about the actual numbers, but there is credible evidence to suggest that up to a million people were enslaved in pirate raids between 1580 and 1780. That is an awful lot of people. So who were these Barbary Corsairs as they were known? Well, some of the most famous were actually Europeans who converted and turned pirate after initially being British privateers. One was Henry Mannering. Now, he was a lawyer and a pirate hunter, and then he turned pirate himself before he eventually returned home to a royal pardon. Go figure. Then he wrote a book called The Discourse of Pirates, and in that he outlined potential methods to hunt down and eliminate his former shipmates. Nice dude all around, I reckon. (laughs) <laughs> Another convert was Captain Jack Ward. Now, you've probably seen pictures of Captain Jack Ward. He's that swarthy-looking pirate that you see in cigar shops and, and tourist haunts all over the place. Well, he was once described by the English ambassador to Venice as beyond doubt the greatest scoundrel that ever sailed from England. He'd been a privateer for Queen Elizabeth during her war with Spain, but, and this happened an awful lot when the war was over he lost his status as privateer and hence lost his job, and so he simply turned his coat and became a pirate. Captured a ship around about 1603, sailed it to Tunis, and converted to Islam. But his real impact was that he was the one that introduced heavily armed square rigged ships, the European style of ships, instead of the galleys which had been the North African standard. And that allowed the Barbary's future dominance of the Mediterranean. There were other famous Barbary pirates, the Barbarossa brothers. Barbarossa, having nothing to do with Barbary, by the way. Barbarossa is the Italian word for red beards. You'll never guess what colour their beards were. Great. Hmm, That's close. The Aldine brothers became Barbary corsairs in the service of the Ottoman Empire. The eldest of them was Oroch. Now, he went on a rampage through Algiers in 1516 and captured the town with the help of the Ottoman Empire but then decided that he was going to execute the ruler of Algiers. Yeah, fair enough, I suppose. And then he executed everybody else that he thought would oppose him, including all of the local rulers.
1: <clears throat> was, was anyone left to rule?
0: Well, he was. His younger brother, Hizir, was a more traditional corsair. He was actually quite a capable engineer, spoke six languages. He was appointed admiral-in-chief of the Ottoman Sultan's fleet, and under his command, the Ottoman Empire was able to gain and keep control of the Mediterranean for over 30 years. So those are a couple of Barbary pirates, but there is one more Barbary pirate I'd like to talk about. Her name was Saida al-Hurrah. Yes, her name. She was a female Muslim cleric. That's something that would come as something of a surprise to ISIS these days. Uh, She was a merchant. She was the governor of Tetouan, and later the wife of the sultan of Morocco. Now, we don't know her birth name. Her nom de guerre literally means noble lady who is free and independent the woman sovereign who bows to no superior authority. Well, too much of a mouthful, so we'll just call her Al Hora. She was born around 1485 in the Emirate of Grenada. That's in what is now Spain. But she was forced to flee to Morocco when she was very young because the Reconquista, that's where the Europeans reconquered Spain and Portugal, the Christian invasion. So in Morocco, she gathered a crew of largely exiled Moors and launched pirate expeditions against Spain and Portugal to avenge the Reconquista, to protect Morocco from the Christian pirates, oh, and not surprisingly, to seek riches and glory. So many riches and glory, in fact, that she co-founded the Barbary Corsairs with her allies, the Barbarossa brothers that we talked about a minute ago. She became wealthy and renowned, so wealthy, so renowned, that the Sultan of Morocco said, I'd like to make you my queen. And she said, all right, but I'm not getting married in Morocco. No, 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 no. You've got to come to Tetouan where I am governor. Then I'll marry you. And he did. Quite a woman. So that was the Barbary pirates. The other age of pirates, at least in the popular consciousness, is the golden age of piracy in the Caribbean. This is the time of Jack Sparrow, who didn't exist. And Captain Hook, who didn't exist. And Captain Kidd, who did exist, but was probably not guilty of piracy, and of your favorite Annette, Blackbeard the Pirate. Yeah. Well, Blackbeard existed, but not like this.
1: I want to know where Captain Bellamy is. What? You ain't seen him? The last time I seen him, the wind was blowing through his ears. Where is he? Well, he's aboard, all right. I left him hanging around somewhere. <laughs> There was a dead man hanging from the yard arm as we came aboard.
0: Ah, <laughs> there's a man what's seen him. The famous era of pirates, immortalised on books and films, really only lasted for about 80 years. Now I've mentioned that there have been pirates as long as there have been ships carrying cargo, but the era of the buccaneers and their pirate round was actually only a few short decades. It was a confluence of factors here. There was a rise in the quantity and the value of goods being carried by ships, a rise in the number of sailors with experience in various navies and particularly the British Navy and the appalling pay and conditions of those navies. I don't know if you know this, but a sailor, a man press-ganged into the British Navy, a man who was forcibly kidnapped and made to work on a British Navy ship, was supposed to get the princely sum of 11 shillings per month. But that money was often withheld by corrupt captains, and anyway, it wouldn't be given to the men for months at a time to discourage them from leaving. And so that's maybe $600 a month in today's money, if they got it. By comparison, an ordinary pirate would receive a part of the plunder at the captain's discretion, what was called a single share, on average, A pirate could expect the equivalent of a year's wages as his share from each ship captured, while the crew of successful pirates could often receive a share valued at around a million dollars once in their career. No wonder they crossed the line into piracy. Under those circumstances, I reckon it's a miracle that anyone stayed on the right side of the law. Would you?
1: No. No, definitely not. (laughs)
0: Not with that kind of money at hand. There was, by the way, another driver of piracy escaped slaves were welcomed into the pirate community. In fact, they made up as many as a third of all pirates at one stage. They were offered leadership positions that they could never have dreamed of while they were slaves, such as that assumed by the pirate we know as Black Caesar. Now, Caesar is reported to have been a traditional war chief in Africa when he was enslaved. He was brought to the Florida Keys, but he escaped during a storm. And with a friend, he began a life of piracy, which ended up with him apparently second-in-command to Blackbeard the pirate. Now, contemporary records are a little unclear on whether Caesar ever actually had the official title of first mate, but if he was in fact 2IC to Blackbeard, that would have made him the highest-ranking black pirate at the time. There are legends and stories surrounding Black Caesar, including that he had buried treasure that's never been found, but all we know is that he was captured In the battle that killed his captain and i'll have more on that in a minute and he was then put on trial and acquitted of piracy good for him Mm, you would think so but no he was after all a slave before he became a pirate so back into slavery he went some reports suggest he ended his life as a cooper making barrels of whiskey and beer and such things uh, and died around the age of 70. But in any case, he was an example that enslaved Africans who were considered the lowest of the low could carve a new place for themselves if they joined the pirate fleet.
1: It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? If you were a slave on a ship, you have so much intel about the layout of the ship, you know, where the good stuff's normally kept. Mm -hmm. It's, It's a golden strategy.
0: Yep, and it worked for an awful lot. As I say, up to a third of pirates. That's, that's something that most people don't know. And you could reach the heights of being too icy to Blackbeard the Pirate, one of the most famous of the Caribbean pirates. Now you know about Blackbeard the Pirate, Annette.
1: He's one of my favorites.
0: Edward Teach, he was a sailor. Apparently on one of the privateer vessels in the war between Spain and England and France for control of the North American continent, uh, he then settled in the Bahamas and decided, as the Disney song goes, Yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's life for me. We pillage, plunder, we rifle and loot, we kidnap and ravage and don't give a hoot, we extort and we pilfer, we filch and we sack, maraud and embezzle and even hijack. Yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's life for me. Thank you. A colourful character, he apparently used to light fuses in his hat just so he could scare his enemies. (laughs) Blackbeard once blockaded an entire town in South Carolina and ransomed the townspeople as hostages. But he was somehow pardoned after all of that and then decided that being on the honest side of the law well, really didn't suit him, so back to piracy he went.
1: You don't often hear pirates doing stuff on land, do you?
0: No, but they've got to go somewhere. (laughs) If yeah. only to bury their treasure, I suppose. Yeah,
1: yeah. The
0: yeah, yeah. thing about Teach is that he was a big dude. He was ferocious looking. But it appears that he actually used bluster and his image rather than violence to achieve his aim. So despite what we heard earlier from a movie about Blackbeard, he didn't actually ever have any record of having killed or harmed those he'd captured, which might be why he's become considered the archetype for the Caribbean pirate in popular fiction didn't do him any good in the end though. After Blackbeard returned to piracy, the governor of Virginia sent a party of soldiers after him. They bailed him up on board and stabbed him 20 times and then shot him five times as well just to make sure. (laughs) Poor Captain Blackbeard. But if Blackbeard suffered an ignominious fate, at least he deserved it. I mean there was another famous pirate, Captain Kidd, who almost certainly did not. William Kidd, was a Scottish sea captain who had clear letters of mark, that is, those authorities from the king to capture ships. But he fell foul of some politicians in London and was eventually hanged as a pirate for carrying out their orders. Kidd had been a member of a French-English pirate crew sailing the Caribbean, but they decided they didn't want to be pirates anymore, so they mutinied, they ousted the captain, they sailed to the British colony of Nevis, where they renamed the ship the Blessed William and Kidd was elected captain by the crew of the ship before that was confirmed by the island's governor. He then turned privateer and established a reputation as a skilled, loyal privateer and was given commissions to continue acting against the French and against his former pirates in the region. But he also had a habit of thumbing his nose at the powers that be, which is one of the things I like about William Kidd, but it didn't do him any good in the end. One example, he hand-selected a crew for one of his ships and then refused to salute a British naval ship as they sailed past. No! <laughs> oh, the Navy ship fired a shot to say, how dare you, ruffians, you will salute! At which point, Kidd's crew then turned around, dropped their dacks and started smacking their derrières, effectively mooning the British captain. It's a salute of some sort, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, not the salute that the captain wanted, I have to tell you. Because of his refusal to salute the Navy vessel's captain, then retaliated by pressing much of Kidd's crew into naval service, despite his strong protests, as you might imagine, and despite the general exclusion of privateer crew from being press gang. Didn't help, he lost his crew, so he had to sail shorthanded for New York City, where he captured a French vessel en route. Now, that was, I have to stress, legal under the terms of his commission. Then to make up for the lack of officers, he picked up a replacement crew in New York, the vast majority of whom were known and hearted criminals and former pirates. Well, that was all right, except that Kidd was declared a pirate early in his voyage by a Royal Navy officer to whom he had promised 30 men or so. Remember I mentioned he thumbed his nose at authority? Well, he sailed away during the night to preserve his crew and didn't hand over those 30 men or so, and so he was declared a pirate. Another example of the disastrous consequences the big problem it seems to me was that Captain Kidd was closely associated with some leading opposition politicians back in London and the government decided to punish him for that in any case he was eventually tried and convicted of murder and piracy despite having letters of Mark from the King and was hanged in 1701 all of which is I have to say quite sad but what makes Captain Kidd so famous is the reports never confirmed of his buried treasure. Arr. There was a 1701 song, Captain Kidd's Farewell to the Seas, which lists 200 bars of gold and silver dollars manifold we seized uncontrolled. There were later novels which referred to Kidd's supposed treasure. They include Edgar Allan Poe's The Gold Bug, Washington Irving's Kid the Pirate, and, of course, Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. But the funny thing is, despite all of the claims of buried treasure, the only booty ever actually recovered was a small cache on New York's Long Island, and that was recovered long before Captain Kidd's trial. So if there is buried treasure out there, it's unlikely to ever be recovered. And that makes me sad. Maybe it's a case of oh no oh no no pirates life for me they'll cut off your head and hang you till dead without any gold this really gets old so oh no oh no no pirates life for me Oh and before we go in it a question what's a pirate's favorite letter
1: oh, What is it
0: Everybody thinks it's R but no a pirate's first love is the sea
1: Oh, Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks, Graham.
0: (laughs) You're welcome. Maybe my jokes should be buried in history as well. That's Pirates. In our next episode, we're going to look at the Emu Wars of Australia.
1: I'm excited at this one.
0: A war against a bird that we lost. Twice. Meanwhile, if you've got an aspect of history that you want to see given the History Tart treatment, let us know. Historytarts at gmail.com is the email to reach us. We'd love to hear from you real soon.